Hi, everybody. This is Davey H. If you listened to last week's podcast, you know I'm on the road this week promoting the Karma Sense Eating Plan. So I'm repeating an old episode of the Foodcast this week. I wanted to pick an episode that demonstrated popularity with people who've been listening for a while, but that the newer folks in the audience hadn't heard. Thanks to the sophisticated KarmaSense Media Analytics Engine, also known as Microsoft Excel, I selected the Fight Hunger episode, in which we learn more about the SNAP program. Little did I know that this would be the same week when the U.S. legislative and executive branches would come together to propose decimation of the SNAP program for hungry families. This makes no sense. The detractors claim food assistance programs discourage people from seeking work, and this is wrong. The data not only shows that people don't stay on SNAP long term, but that SNAP's food assistance is a key tool to moving people out of poverty. Furthermore, as you learned during my rant in this episode, SNAP is one of the cleanest government programs there is when it comes to waste and fraud. There's hardly any. And SNAP actually has a positive effect on the overall economy. It opens new markets to businesses that don't usually attract low-income people who don't have SNAP access. So this is a timely episode to replay. And even if you heard it before, you may want to stick around for the first seven minutes and listen to the rant. And if you want to do something about it, reach out to your representative in Congress and urge them to preserve SNAP benefits. Now, on to the show. Hello, this is episode 20 of the Karma Sense Foodcast. I'm Davey H., and this is the Fight Hunger episode. Welcome to the first Foodcast of 2017. We kick off this year with a serious topic, which means I won't goof around as much as usual. Still, I have to imagine listening to me fumble through something in a serious matter will be entertaining, if not awkward, to listen to. This episode's about giving low-income people access to fresh food. Some people don't think this is a problem, a basic right, or a concern for the population at large. There's this guy, Stuart Varney from Fox Business Channel. I'm just going to give our viewers a quick run-through of what items poor families in America have. 99% of them have a refrigerator. 81% have a microwave. 78% have air conditioning. 63% have cable TV. Douchebag says what? These days refrigerators are a luxury? Does he get what happens when people only eat food from a box or can? Not to pick on Fox, but to pick on Fox. Recently, they had to rescind a story that dominated their news cycle two days after Christmas about massive fraud in the government's food assistance program. They reported new and significantly large figures about what they called food stamp fraud that were neither new nor were they accurate. The actual amount of fraud is insignificant compared to the program budget. It's only 1.3%, and it's continuing to go down. And there have been no new statistics on this for about a year and so no reason to report it. Apparently, some people have an axe to grind. I put a link to the report in the show notes, but the clip's been replaced by a brief under-the-radar correction that'll probably never be seen by the people who watch Fox on December 27th. This is not a great political environment to be poor, not that there's ever a good time. Government, industry, and citizens need to come together to fix this issue. It can't be done without government. No other entity has the incentive. Charity only provides 10% of the meals government programs do, and still people are going hungry. 
Do you think elimination or reduction of SNAP benefits, the government programs, will suddenly cause a groundswell of charitable donations from people who don't think the poor should have $50 microwave ovens? In this episode, I speak with Rana Abu Gazella, project manager in the city of Alexandria, Virginia's General Services Department. She talks about the benefits and challenges of giving low-income people access to fresh food. It's actually a pretty upbeat story. And even though it's focused on my town, your town has similar challenges and opportunities, and I talk about how you can make the same magic happen where you live. Then I visit my farmer's market to experience what Rana discusses. I work my way through the market with the mindset of someone constrained by the same issues low-income people face. To be clear, I'm not doing one of those snap food challenges that demonstrate how hard it is to feed one's family with the benefits of the program. Most of the folks doing those challenges focus purely on the economics of the issue and ignore the problem of transportation, culture, safety, time, and the 200,000 poor people who, according to Stuart Farney, still don't have refrigerators. So let's dive in. But first, rant. I'm recording this foodcast just after the season of giving has come to an end, and I'm going to ask you to keep on giving. Because problems like hunger aren't seasonal, and the problem is huge. 47 million people qualify for America's Federal Assistance Nutrition Program called SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. 44% of those people are kids. 20% of households that receive food assistance include at least one veteran and 40% of food bank users report watering down food and drink to make it last longer. These are depressing statistics, and I'm not aiming to get us depressed. But despite the holiday season being over, it's no time to get complacent either. With tax breaks and general feelings of goodwill behind us, charitable giving of time and money goes down this time of year. However, that doesn't relieve the pressure on low-income families who have to juggle their income from cobbled-together part-time gigs or low-pay full-time jobs. These folks constantly make decisions on how to pay for housing, childcare, and health care. And with the specter of the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare being canceled, even if you think that's good for the economy in the long run, short-term it makes these choices harder. As a Foodcast listener, you know that poor nutrition equals poor health. That without access to health care, poor health leads to poor nutrition. This knot of food insecurity, obesity, and malnutrition is difficult to untangle. How do you untangle a knot? You pull on it from one side, and that loosens the grip of the other loops. You just need to pull from the working end. The working end of this knot is food insecurity. There's a concept among people who study food systems known as a food desert. A food desert is a geographical area concentrated with low-income residents that has no access to vendors that sell fresh food. The distance threshold to be defined as a desert is 1 and 10 miles, meaning if you live in an urban or suburban setting, there are no stores that sell fresh produce and meat within one mile of where you live. And if you live in a rural setting, the distance is 10 miles. What food deserts lack in fresh food selection, they usually make up for with plenty of cheap foods that are highly processed, heavily subsidized by your taxes, and easy to sell in corner stores that devote their paltry refrigerated sections to soda and beer. This is where farmers markets come in. They don't require the investment and physical infrastructure of a full-service grocery store. They can meet the customers where they are, so those customers don't need to invest two hours on public transportation to buy healthy options. 
But then there's another problem. The produce, meat, and dairy foods at farmers markets are still more expensive than cups of ramen. That's where SNAP comes in. As we move to the interview segment of this foodcast, you'll learn about ways that government, farms, and concerned citizens can work together to overcome the problem of costs and access for healthy food. It may even motivate you to address the same food system issues in your town. Think globally, act locally. That's how you save the world. Today I have the privilege to meet with Rana Abu Ghazala, who is a project manager with the City of Alexandria, and he, she's here to talk to us about some great work she's done on making fresh and healthy food accessible to people who otherwise don't have access. So thanks for meeting with me, Rana. Thank you, Dave. Good to be with you. Thanks. So why don't we start off with you giving some uh, of your background and how it actually links to nutrition and low-income families. Uh, well, I was trained as an urban planner, but actually my supervisor um, uh, supervised my thesis was very much into food systems. So she was the first introduction that I had to food systems planning. I was very, very much interested when I uh, did my master's in urban planning uh, in the social justice issues of that domain, be it uh, for communities you know, living under siege or uh, communities um, uh, suffering uh, from um, you know, being within food deserts, any other uh, type of economic barriers that these communities uh, would have to face just because of the fault, not necessarily the fault, but just because of the way uh, cities are being planned. So I was interested in always uh, getting to know more about the subject and uh, being involved in the subject. And uh, coming to the city of Alexandria, I was kind of tasked with looking at the farmer's market, the Old Town Farmer's Market, which is the only uh, market that is managed by the city, and seeing how we can actually improve that uh, in terms of uh, the way it's planned, and also in terms of program, uh, to anchor it more as a hub for the community, in terms of it act its activities, uh, as well as being a center within the city. So I worked at developing a better plan where uh, we would relocate the vendors and have them have equal spaces. We also had a customer uh, survey uh, on an annual basis. And then out of the ideas came also making sure that we had grant access to SNAP recipients, which is you know an acronym, an acronym for Supplemental Nutrition Access Assistance Program to be able to shop at the market. So uh, it started out in April of 2013, and it's been continuing and flourishing since then. So um, this is what really got me interested in terms of my background and uh, how my job kind of uh, translated into that, trying to make it better, definitely, for the city and the community. Okay, so you introduced some terms, uh, that, <laughs> which is, is great. Uh, I'll just have us play back a little bit and have you get a little bit into it. So sure. you talked about food systems mm -hmm. as it relates to, to urban planning. Yes. You also talked about food deserts. Mm -hmm. So could you explain a little bit what is a food system and how it relates to a food desert? Yes. So I might not be, you know, I might not be able to explain it in its full terms, the food systems, but it's definitely the whole, uh, let's say, chain 
of uh, when you grow food, distributed, and how it goes through the chain from the start up until it ends onto your plate. So all of the mechanisms that are involved in getting it from A to B would affect how that uh, food gets in terms of quality and in terms of energy that is spent on getting the food into your plate. So anything related to transporting food, anything related to agriculture, be it urban agriculture or land uh, that we are currently losing, not just because of development, but also globally. These are things that go into the food system. And it's, it's, fairly, it's fairly a new uh, discipline that planners are really becoming more involved with uh, because it actually affects our livelihood, our sustainability. Uh, we're living in a planet, we're exhausting all of the resources, and food is amongst you know, the most precious ones, and it's also a cause of conflict. So it has to do with even stability in the world uh, and globally as a whole. Uh, so that's kind of in simple terms okay. of uh, what the food systems is. When it comes to food deserts, it's, it, it's how much of a parameter you have before you're able to actually be close to a grocery store or a place where it sells uh, local uh, fresh fruits and vegetables or fresh fruits and vegetables, let's say. A lot of communities actually do not have access to um, either grocery stores or farmers markets that sell that type of uh, fruits and vegetables. So they rely more on processed foods, uh, fast chain foods, uh, you know, the subsidized uh, oil that enables us to, uh, to eat more of the, you know, the, the fast food rather than the slow food that is prepared through us getting the fruits and vegetables, cooking them, and really having a nutritious, a nutritious meal. So that was part of actually the introduction that I got uh, when I was studying urban planning is what food deserts are all about. And um, even in the federal programs, um, actually part of the grant that we got to uh, better our SNAP program was geared towards also communities that would be a plus for them to get that grant is if, they, if these communities fall within a food desert, meaning they don't have access to, f uh, to farmer's market or they don't have access to places that actually sell uh, f local, either local or just fresh fruits and vegetables uh, for the communities to consume. The Washington, D.C. area is a relatively wealthy part yes, of the country. So it's <laughs> Do you have any ideas, maybe specifically in Alexandria, how many food deserts there are? I don't think we, we do qualify as, as a food desert, but we do have barriers to access uh, in terms of farmer's market actually accepting SNAP. I'm just talking about farmer's market. Now, in grocery stores, uh, they do have a lot of them um, uh, have the SNAP program running, so you can bring your card and actually run that uh, to be able to purchase eligible foods, be it uh, fruits, vegetables, or any eligible food items uh, that uh, are under the SNAP program. So we don't necessarily qualify as, as a food desert area, but still we do have barriers uh, for access when it comes you know, to, to fresh fruits and vegetables and healthy foods, per se. And, and typical of a lot of suburban areas, there are transportation issues to get, yes. get it. There's walkability that exactly. becomes a problem. Exactly. And when you're buying groceries, they're not easy necessarily to carry, too. So. Exactly, yeah. Okay. So you also, another term you came up with was SNAP. 
mm-hmm. which you define the acronym uh, <laughs> for us. But can you tell us a little bit more about what SNAP is? Sure. Uh, so it is a federal program where you get money uh, that you can buy eligible food to supplement your your income. So um, it supplements the nutritional aspect of, of your income. So if you are a family, let's say, of four, the, I think the bracket is about $2,000 uh, if, if your net income is around $2,000 for a family or a household of four, you get about $500 in terms of allowance that you can spend on eligible food items uh, or SNAP eligible foods. And that's 2000 a month? Yes, that's 2000 a month, yeah. You get a card called EBT card, which is the Electronic Benefits Card. Previously, it was known as the Food Stamp Program, but uh, now they prefer to call it the SNAP Program, and then the card that they use is the EBT card. It's just very similar to any credit card. They just um, load in uh, the money, and then you can use it uh, to purchase any food, uh, any eligible food items. So you described what the specific problem is that you were trying to solve by making SNAP transactions accessible at the farmer's market. Can you describe the process that was involved in making that happen? Sure. In our case, as the farmer's market, we wanted that to be centralized. We got a SNAP machine, and that uh, SNAP EBT machine enables us uh, to have any customer come in with their card, and then what they would end up telling us is, I need, let's say, $20 to purchase fruits and vegetables. They swipe their card, and we give them wooden tokens. So these tokens are just the same, they're just as good as money to use at the market. So they use them uh, at the market, they purchase whatever they need, be it uh, fruits, vegetables, meat, dairy, uh, food, and they, they take it home. Once the vendor has those tokens, they come back to our station and they are able to redeem those tokens for a, you know, a receipt that we give them and we send them that check by mail in two weeks time. And we also have a great program that, that was made available through donations from the community, which is matching the SNAP dollars or the SNAP transactions dollar for dollar up to $10 per weekly visit. So this was the first matching program that we started. We also got a grant from Finney, which is also a federal grant, and we were able to match SNAP transactions also dollar for dollar, up to $10, but only for fruits and vegetables. So we actually, if someone comes in and asks for $20, we're able to match them up to $20 now. So they, they, they leave with $40, and really it creates an impact on their, the money they, that they have set up for grocery shopping. So if someone comes in every week, that's actually $40 in addition to what they have in terms of a SNAP allowance uh, to use to buy you know, fresh, local uh, fruits and vegetables from the farmer's market. And it's great quality and it helps incentivize people to to buy at our farmer's market because they have that reputation of being more of an elitist (laughs) type of uh, space. But we really are trying to combat that. And our annual survey shows that in demographics, it's actually uh, becoming more inclusive to to different income levels within the community uh, who are attending the farmer's market. 
What kind of organizations are providing the matching funds? We started out, the first uh, matching fund was $2,000, and it was from the Alexandria Childhood Obesity Action Network. It's a local organization within Alexandria. They were actually the first seed money that we got uh, to enable us to do the matching program and get tokens to be able to do that. Then after that, we relied on fundraising through an event that's called Soil to Soul. And we did that with Jackson 20. We actually had the last one in October, and uh, we were able to raise close to $3,000. And that hopefully would last us through um, you know, next year. Uh, so every year we do something of a fundraising uh, to enable us uh, to get more money. And we also got good news that we now as the city are able to actually get donations uh, online. So that wasn't the case before. <laughs> so we'll definitely be uh, trying to promote that to get more funding for our program because the more funding we get, the more people we will be able uh, to match their transactions in terms of a weekly visit. You've made it so that the actual process is as simple and friction-free as possible, yes. which is, is great. How easy was it to make it happen? What was the process from start to finish as far as time and, and my goodness it was it was a struggle for the city it was a unique program even though in DCHS you know and the Department of Community and Human Services uh, this is where uh, SNAP recipients go to actually apply for SNAP benefits get their benefits but with our department uh, general services who manages the farmers market it was kind of a unique program because it's uh, it's more on the the social front so it was tough trying to coordinate all of the, the departments, be it finance, to create you know, an account, to be able to get uh, the money once you get the transactions and be able to uh, set up a system where uh, the vendors can redeem their tokens. So it took some time, it took almost a year actually to get that set up and in place. But once we had it, we had a tremendous support from our volunteers. It was mainly volunteer run up until 2014 when we got a grant to enable us to hire a part-time coordinator Sarah Cohen she's she's a great great employee of ours she was really able to make that program more sustainable we still had volunteers we still relied on volunteers recruiting them because it, it, it you can't just rely on one person it's it's basically money handling I mean you you are you know on the front you're answering customer questions you're doing transactions so you actually need more than one person at the booth since we started our snap sales between what we sell and what we matched have been doubling almost every year so it's a great profit for the vendors as well because this is another source of income uh, to them. So it's a win-win for, for everyone. It's a win uh, for the community. It's a social uh, justice issue. It's a food access issue. So you grant that and also get more profit as well as economic uh, development because every, I think, $2 uh, in SNAP generates about $5 uh, in economic activity. That's a national statistic. So you're actually contributing to the economic development of the city when you're bringing in more customers and you're investing in your farmer's market as well. All of that coordination between, uh, <laughs> between Alexandria government people, between the vendors, between mm -hmm. private citizens who want to help, volunteers, customers, all of that 
That's why we have project managers. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> to, to act more of the middleman. <laughs> we take the heat, but I mean, honestly, it was one of the projects that I truly, truly enjoyed working on. It's very rewarding. You get to see people really uh, in, enjoy being at the market and enjoy the produce that they get from the vendors. It's also about the, per, the personal relationships, not just for Snap customers, but for customers as a whole. Uh, it's more of a community space, uh, and this is what, how we want it to continue. So we want everyone to be able to be there, uh, everyone to be able to enjoy it, regardless of their income level, for sure. Another aspect I know of project managers is measurement Yes. <laughs> uh, and measuring success. You talked about the importance of the profitability mm-hmm. and how the transactions can be directly linked to community development. What other ways are you measuring the success of the sure. program? So we track sales. We track how much those sales increase. And we also track the total number of customers as well as how many new customers we're able to, to attract. So we always have a weekly accounting sheet that we keep record of and we compile it to get like monthly, quarterly, yearly data. And we also have a very, very short survey that we ask of our customers whenever they're doing the transaction. So we ask them if they are a, a new customer. If they're not, you know, we don't continue. If they are, we ask them how they knew about the program. So we're interested in knowing what works also. How, we, how are we able to successfully promote the program? Is it through signs? Is it through social media? Is it through our city's website? Is it through uh, interaction like having, uh, we have a booth at DCHS where we actually sit there and answer customer questions and try to kind of talk to them one-on-one. So when tracking those numbers, I can say that since 2013, we started out by what, you know, between what we sold and what we matched, it was close to 2,700. It grew to 30, about 3,300 in 2014. Then it almost doubled in 2015 uh, to about 7,600. And for 2016, you know, we're still almost waiting for the December month, but we actually, between what we sold in Snap and what we matched, it's close to $15,000. So that's a lot, returning profit uh, to the vendors as well. Now, in terms of new customers, started out with 142 in 2014. Uh, It grew to 277, then 426 in 2016. And about a third of that number is actually new customers. So yes, so that's in terms of, you know, hard uh, data. um, And we're very proud that we are able um, to grow our program and even nationally um, before we started uh, we had an orientation meeting with all of our farmers and vendors and we told them about th- that program and uh, I really tried to be in their shoes like talk from the economic you know perspective as business and you know businessmen so I did show them the national statistics and that you know according to national statistics uh, SNAP sales and redemptions actually double every year, and we're very consistent uh, with, uh, with what is happening uh, on a national level. So we're very, very happy uh, that we have a recipe that works. Any personal stories you care to share about your experience? Sure. So I'm just going to share one. This was the latest one that we got. So it was from one of our uh, SNAP customers, and um, she said that 
she has needed and haven't had a job this last year, and she has scrambled to stay afloat. In particular, the SNAP program at the Old Town Farmers Market has been an absolute joy and blessing to me. The extensive varieties of apples, the corn and tomatoes, the beet juice, the eggs, the occasional cheese and bread, here at the market I'm nourished in both body and spirit. Thank you for the program and keep up the good work. Stories like this are very heartwarming. It really tells you that um, it was worthwhile. All the, you know, the, the headache and the heartache of trying to kind of coordinate everything together when it first started. I'm always a proponent of saying that things are usually the hardest, the hardest part is just the beginning. Once you start something, the, this is the hardest part. Once you're done, the hardest is over. Then you can just streamline it and uh, it becomes, it becomes a, a, you know, a pattern or a rhythm that you can kind of fall into. So a lot of people get discouraged, you know, because, you know, they face bureaucracy or they face position on this part or that part. So they kind of give up. If they just push just through just a little bit more and they're able to get something in place, I tell you, the reward is unbelievable. You, you achieve a vision that, that in the end you want. And it just takes a little bit persistence. And as I tell you, we were blessed with volunteers, with, uh, with our coordinator. She actually started out as a volunteer. And um, you know, having the grant enabled us uh, to hire her as a, as a part-time employee with the city. So, uh, so we're, very, we're very happy that the circumstances kind of conspired in our favor uh, to kind of enable us to grow and expand that program uh, from what we started on a very small scale. And certainly a story like that one pays you back and makes it <laughs> Absolutely. seem all it worthwhile. Makes it all worthwhile. My only problem with it is the description of all that good food is making me hungry. <laughs> well, you should come to the market on Saturday <laughs> I, then. Yeah, I will. Uh, so at this point, you've been very generous with your time. Is there anything else you'd like to share or think that people would like to know? Sure. And we actually have that in our annual survey. We always like to include uh, a question that is more of an information sharing rather than uh, just a survey question. So uh, for people who are not aware of that, we also have a gleaning program at the market. And uh, gleaning is it's food rescue. So any food that is left over uh, at the end of the market day, instead of the vendors having to get rid of it or destroy it or take it out of the city to other shelters or food pantries, we wanted to actually keep it within the city. So we created a program with volunteers as well that enabled collecting that food and uh, giving it out to shelters and local pantries within the city of Alexandria. So we partnered with Hunger Free uh, Alexandria group and we've collected for, for the last uh, gleaning season, which is May through November, which is the season where you know you have the abundance of produce, about 5,000 pounds of produce that could have otherwise been lost or you know destroyed. And that was part of actually the grant that we got. So we actually created something that happens actually also, also once a month uh, towards the end of the month at the farmer's market, uh, May through November which is the Bike for Good program. So we have people who come on their bikes and we bought trailers 
and they put in that produce that they collected uh, from the vendors who donated it. And they take that to Annie Bebo's uh, senior uh, shelter, which is about a mile away from the market. And you're actually biking for a good cause, uh, hence the bike for, for good name. So um, this has been very, very much well received within the community. It's exercise, it's lowering your footprint when it comes to transporting food, and it's also combining that with reducing waste uh, when it comes to food consumption. So we're very excited about that as well, and that's kind of uh, another program that we're very proud to have at the market. So how can people learn more about the opportunities to, to help and the good work that you're doing? Uh, so they can check uh, our uh, city's website. Um, we have a farmer's market page, the Old Town Farmer's Market page. We're also available on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so uh, they can uh, check uh, good stories if they want to write us. Uh, we have um, our market manager's email as well as if they want to volunteer. They can definitely um, contact our current coordinator, uh, Sarah Cohen, and uh, get in touch with her to be able uh, to volunteer at the market, be it at the SNAP program or at the gleaning program as well. And not all the listeners to this program are, are local. I don't expect you to be able to help in uh, <laughs> well, other jurisdictions, I mean, but yeah. <laughs> I'll use the information you give to try and point people in the right direction. Perfect. because. While I'm sure Alexandria is leading the way, <laughs> I'm sure it's not unique too. Yes. So, uh, thank you very much again for thank your time. You. This has been uh, very interesting, and uh, really appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank so you so much, Dave. It's been a pleasure. I took Rona up on her offer and went to the farmers market the next Saturday. Let's see how I did. What you're about to hear is a highly edited version of my morning at the farmers market in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia on a windy 15 degree Fahrenheit, that's freaking cold in whatever units you non-Americans use, December morning. A few notes before we get started. Because I'm working around an active market, there's some background noise and minor calamities that get addressed while I'm recording. These involve a coffee spill, a major water turned to ice spill, and my nostril spilling. The cold makes my nose run, so for part of the discussion I start sniffling. I assure you those sniffles are sincere, and they're not an attempt at me recreating the president-elect's debate performance. It's 6 a.m. on a cold December Saturday morning, and I'm heading to the farmer's market. It's about a mile, so I'm going to walk, and I know most people wouldn't walk to the farmer's market to do their shopping if it was about a mile, but there are people who live closer than I do who would be typical SNAP recipients, so I think it's okay if I walk there and I'll probably take the bus back. So I got here to the farmer's market and it's not quite open, but the vendors are all getting set up. It's good to get here early. I'll get the pick of the best food. The first thing a SNAP participant would do is head to the SNAP booth to trade credit on his or her EBT card for tokens. Because of the weather, the booth, which is normally set up outside, is in a room that would also be used for storage, but is acting jointly for now as the market information and SNAP booth. I walk in the door and introduce myself to Sarah, the coordinator that Rana mentioned, and she proceeds to spill her coffee. We join at that point. Sorry, it's an early morning and my husband always spills the coffee to the very top. 
Um, it's so only because he cares for you. I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so people come here, they just they swipe the card, they get the tokens depending on how much yes. their allocation is. Right, so um, like I showed in that, and you know, people, this, this kind of explains, we have four different colors, and um, the green and the red are the um, EBT tokens. So they're the SNAP EBT tokens. So this is, you know, somebody comes in, they say they want $20, um, and so they have like a credit card now, and we right. swipe it, and it takes $20 off their benefit card. Um, so then we give them either green, which is $1 tokens, or we give them red, and these are $2 tokens. Right. Some people really hate the red, some people love the red. <laughs> so, you know, um, they can't get cash back, and so sometimes the $2 isn't that great um, in terms right. of like trying yeah. to... Make sure they get the most of their right. money. Right. And then we have an incentive program. We have two different incentive right. programs. We, um, so the purple tokens, we have a grant with Wholesome Wave, who has, we're a sub-grantee to Wholesome Wave, who has a grant with the USDA. Um, and the FINI grant stands for the Food Insecurity Nutrition Incentive Program. And so these are the purple tokens. And they're $1. And they're for fruits and vegetables only. Um, so we match people dollar for dollar up to $20. So if they get $20, they get um, $10 of the FINI, uh, the purple tokens, fruit and vegetables only. Um, and then they get $10 of the double dollar um, tokens. And that's what we. Uh, fundraise for, so this is a public, we right. get from the community um, donations, so these are for anything. They can buy meat, bread, if they want to buy cookies, they can buy cookies, there's no, you know, law against it, but we really encourage people, I always ask people, like, where are you going, what are you buying, because actually after they buy things at the end of the day, I go back to the farmers and I get, they have to come and redeem the tokens right. so that they can get paid. And we're also involved in a research program, too, with the University of Delaware. It's a randomized control trial where um, people fill out um, a uh, card with their name, cell phone, and email, and then I send it to the University of Delaware researchers, and they're in the social and social policy um, program. And then they send the customer a, a link with a survey um, and so the surveys is all about what you buy, um, to eat, what you eat. So it's trying to assess if people get um, more incentives, will it increase their fruit and vegetable right. content? Will it increase them coming to the market and buying food here? Um, so it enters them into, after they do the survey, it enters them into a lottery. And they will automatically get an email back that tells them what they won. They can win either two times, one and a half times, nothing. Or a bag, and so we just had a woman come in here, and she had won one and a half times. So that means she bought twenty dollars on her SNAP EBT card. She won one and a half times, so, so she got thirty, forty, fifty, sixty dollars for spending twenty. And it's unlimited. Like this summer, we had someone wow. who came in and bought a hundred, and they had won two times. So I had to give them two hundred of the purple tokens. It was wiping me out. Like I had to keep buying <laughs> purple tokens. People wouldn't come. They wouldn't come to the market unless they had incentives. Because right. it's really expensive. Right. There's at least the perception that it's yeah. expensive. And they're trying to also find out, like how you know, if incentives, what kind of incentives will really you know bring people out, um, and then they want to get information about the population. Like what are the barriers?
is it transportation? Right. I imagine that most of them do need to travel to get here too. It's we do have some people who walk here. We live yeah. in the neighborhood, um, but I think most people do like drive. Um, but you know, some people walk. I would say it's probably seventy percent drive, thirty percent walk. Any feeling? Take public transportation. Yeah, and that's what I was just going to ask: was any feeling for how many? Some do. Yeah. yeah, some people do take public transportation. I know one woman; she literally has to take a bus to a metro, and then she gets on the metro. She goes to the the you know the King Street, and then she takes the trolley. It's yeah. like you know a two-hour trip for her to come here, but she does it. She doesn't come every week, but she comes like once wow. a month. That's yeah. That's dedication. Yeah, a lot of people are very worried about their health. You know, so who are um, taking advantage of this program? Hi. Hi. This is May, our market manager. Hi. May, did you talk to Culture Farms at all? I've been trying to find Santiago. He doesn't answer. Culture Farms spilled some milk and then they poured some water and now it's ice and he needs salt. He said, I appreciate your time. Okay. So. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Now I get to go shopping. For simplicity's sake, I'm gonna shop for one person even though my non-snap life has more mouths to feed. The average single person home gets about $142 a month in SNAP benefits according to the United States Department of Agriculture. That's about $34 per week in groceries. With matching funds at the market, I can bump that up to about 54. I keep that in mind while I shop. Okay, I'll take uh... One ricotta and one feta, please. Okay. Do you need a bag? Number uh, okay. twelve. I spare you the blow by blow the rest of this shop, but because I'm nostalgic about good old episode four of the food cast, in which we went on a fermented food scavenger hunt and compared our results on the funkiness scale, <sighs> I wander over to the fermented food vendor and spy their wares. I find some kadugi kimchi. The sign on the bin says, Kadugi is cubed radish kimchi, the funkiest smelling of all the kimchis. It would make James Brown crinkle his nose. Hark, I say to myself. The Foodcast Funky Food Scale is based on George's, in which George Clinton is most funky, George Costanza is medium funky, and George McFly is not funky. Was that scale wrong? Should it be based on James's? So I'm on my way home and I'm waiting for the bus. I don't know how heavy my groceries are. I've been carrying them for a while to get to the bus stop and, and they feel pretty heavy. I'll weigh them once I get home. I probably could have been smarter on what I bought, but I bought uh, what I would actually use. and. So I don't think that it would make a, for a week's worth of groceries, but I could certainly stretch it out to get pretty close, and we'll, we'll see. Meanwhile, I'm waiting for the bus. It's about a 10-minute, 15-minute bus ride to get back home. And here comes the bus. Oh, 
other than my bus driver deciding to ignore my stop request and having to go a few blocks past my stop. The bus ride was uneventful, but I'm just carrying the groceries a little bit further. Now it's time to see how I did. I have two bags of groceries that include half a pound of salt pork, a couple salmon fillets that equal a pound, eight ounces each of mozzarella and feta, a huge bunch of beets with the greens, a sack of Brussels sprouts, a couple bunches of chard and kale, and a small container of allegedly James Brown worthy kimchi. <coughs> the total comes to about $55, which was my target with incentives. I have a picture of the haul in the show notes. Is that enough to stretch out a week? I'll say that it's not the lavish spread I'm used to. I'll be hungry, but it's doable. Especially if I'm allowed to assume I have non-perishables in the pantry, such as pasta, rice, and beans from previous shops. Oh, and coffee. But poverty of cash is only one of the problems facing low-income families when it comes to eating. There's also poverty of access, poverty of time. When I weighed my total groceries, it came out to weigh about 20 pounds. I'm in decent enough shape, and I can tell you that carrying 20 pounds for a few hours is uncomfortable. Now think about that with the example Sarah gave of the woman who invested two hours to get healthy food, back and forth to the market. Most people on SNAP who work are earning minimum wage. They work long, hard hours for crappy pay that still keeps them below the poverty level. Supplementing people's incomes through programs like SNAP helps break this cycle of poverty, but we need more people like Rana and Sarah to help design intelligent food systems that don't only address the economic issues through brute force subsidies, but also address access and distribution while providing incentive for healthier options. You could be one of these people. Let's talk about that next. One thing that attracts some people to the Karma Sense Foodcast is the karma part. People want to be healthy, they want to be happy, and they want to save the world. The poverty, hunger, malnutrition thing is certainly a place to focus for world saving. I'm not claiming that making the healthy and sustainable options at farmers markets more accessible is the best or only solution to these problems. But if that seems like a place you'd like to focus for your world saving, here's what you can do. Look at the closest food deserts where you live. The U.S. Department of Agriculture website has an interactive map that helps you find them in your area. I did a quick scan of places where the Foodcast has a high concentration of downloads, and all of you have nearby deserts. Then, find out where the closest farmer's markets are. Find the contacts. Again, I did some quick searches for individual farmer's markets, and all the high download areas of this podcast have farmer's markets close to but not necessarily in these deserts. Some of these markets are like Alexandria's. They've thought through this problem and continue to work through the economic, convenience, cultural, and transportation issues potential low-income customers face. Other markets don't yet have SNAP support or they're working toward it. Ask the market manager how you can help. Some of these markets leave it to the individual vendors and that adds friction to the process. Have they ever considered centralizing it like we do here? And then some markets have a very short season. There may be good reasons for that. But start asking questions about how the markets can make sure that low-income customers who want to shop there can continue to have access year-round or most of the year. And if your market is ready to roll with full 52-week-per-year SNAP support, find out whether there's an opportunity to leverage food through a gleaning program 
or volunteer in other ways, like the Bike for Good Rescue program that Rana mentioned. These are just a few ideas of an unbridled optimist. If you want to move forward on any of these and you're stuck, let me know. I'd love to help. As I said, farmers markets are not the one and only solution. But any supermarket that suddenly appears in a food desert probably is a mirage. Farmers markets offer a way to bring fresh, healthful options to the people without them having to pass six fast food joints and three quickie marts before they can have that access. So if you're looking for a way you can save the world, consider attacking this issue. And again, I'm volunteering to help. Or if you're short on time to fight the same windmills I get worked up over, consider donating money to your local food bank. Not cans of food or instant ramen, but cash, because that's what they really need. And so a serious but thought-provoking episode of the Foodcast comes to an end. If it spurs even one listener to sniff around at your own farmer's market, it's a win. And don't be shy if you think I can help you improve access to fresh food in your town. I love getting involved in this stuff. If you enjoy the Foodcast, please subscribe, share, and drop a review on iTunes. Meanwhile, I'm going to dig into my funky kadugi kimchi while we all remember what our old pal James Brown always said.